I, my kids married superstars. And superstars are people that God puts together in someone's womb. They don't choose to be superstars. They don't choose to be born and get the genetic strands that they get, come out airbrushed with a high, keen mind, privilege to overcome, but they come out superstars. God is deeply concerned about the conduct of a superstar. And I tell my grandson all the time, my, my son-in-law all the time, when you are training those professional athletes, my question is not, do you have the skill? My question is, do you walk on the court a godly man? Do you walk into the room when you have those NBA players to develop their skills and those Division I college males or females? Do you bring godliness into the room? Are you that kind of a leader? Because that kind of a leader is what delights God himself and being a kingdom leader. And so today we're going to talk about that. I know that Carol spoke last Sunday. If you were here, if you were not a guest, she spoke from the book of Judges about, about a, a man named Gideon and, and that he was a leader. If you want to know about leadership, read the book of Judges. It's a remarkable book. It spans about 500 years of Israel's history. It, it's the bridge book between the death of Joshua and the installation of the king system in Israel. And it's how God led through individual leaders, a nation, for 500 years. And it's about how God intervenes when people of God rise up and they get close to God, but then walk away from God. And when they walk away from God, God raises up someone to challenge that, bring people back to their senses, and then they're godly again. And then that judge died and the people went right back to being Canaanized or worshiping other gods. And then God would raise up a na nation to discipline them. And then he would raise up another judge. And it's this yo-yo cycle of 500 years. And it is a classic on being a godly leader. Now, I'm going to mention some things that we can see in the life of a very unlikely leader in the lineage of leaders in the book of Judges. So I, what I don't want you to do is make absolutes out of some of the remarkable things that we see other than one thing. Absolutely, all the time, in every place, obeying Jesus Christ and His Word is always the best decision. If you are a superstar and you walk into the corporate boardroom, the best decision is the ethical decision. The best decision is to obey God in whatever place that you find yourself. If you hear me say anything like that, absolutize it, make it your principle, and it will never fail you. Other parts of this are just different insight and different angles about life and leadership. And so I want to talk today about a very unlikely leader, and that's Deborah. Her story's found in the book of Judges, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4 is the prose. Chapter 5 is a poem that was written, and both of those supply us with a remarkable history of this woman that really 
was an odd member of the judge society in this book of Judges. And so we're going to walk through and we're going to take a look at Deborah and see how God chooses the unlikely. Now, if you're a superstar, remember, God is going to hold you accountable to do his will in your lifetime as a superstar. God births superstars on purpose, and he will judge you as to whether you were a godly superstar or you took, took your superstardom and took advantage of people. You didn't use it to transform the people's lives around you. But guess what? If you're not a superstar, you're not off the hook. All of us normal folk, he's going to do the same thing. There's a day when I, as a non-superstar, am going to give an account. I love Paul's picture of the church in the New Testament. He calls us a body. And then he talks about those parts of the, the, the church, the people of the church that are toes, you know, the, the, the most unlikely parts. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that it's a meaningless part. He actually says it's a meaningful part. In the U.S., we play American football, and... Uh, there was a superstar named Deion Sanders. Now, Deion Sanders was a freak of nature. I mean, his speed was world-class speed. Now, he, his whole career was ruined because he stubbed his toe on AstroTurf. And now he's a famous announcer, but he can't play anymore because one toe was stubbed and he got what's called turf toe. And your, your career is over by one little toe. In the church, I think a lot of people don't realize as a little toe, when you disengage from God and community and society, the impact that that has is significant. And so I want to talk about you. If you're the normal person, and so I want to read about this amazing woman named Deborah here. And so we will read. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can just look up here and follow with me. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidus, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to hear her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hands. And Barak said to her, If... If you will go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zonimim, which is near Kadesh. Now, this is the backdrop of this story. Deborah comes on the scene in Judges 1-1 and doesn't say a word about her. It just introduces the whole plot. 
two sentences are describing Deborah's day job. Her day job was she was the judge of Israel. She sat under a tree named after her, and she judged the issues of the nation. She brought wisdom. She brought all those things to the nation of Israel. That was her day job. Her day job was not to form an army and go overtake the armies of the world. In fact, when you look at Deborah, she was an extremely unlikely person to put in the list of judges. First of all, she was female. Now, I don't want you to read a lot into that because what God was up to was not changing gender equality issues in Israel. How many of you know that probably wasn't his agenda? No, no, no. His agenda is actually to get Israel set free. Uh, how many of you think that's like a big deal? It's like, okay, well, that's kind of a big deal. Now, he, he taps Deborah on the shoulder. Now, I want to I just think about this for a minute. Doesn't say anything about her qualifications. She was a prophetess. How many of you know in a prophetess, uh, if you're a, in a Navy SEAL team and you're a prophet, I don't know how much that helps you. Maybe you know you're going to die before you're shot. You know, maybe that's a prophetic word that you receive or you, whatever. But, but how many of you know that doesn't equip you for war? Sitting under a tree and judging deep issues and bringing wisdom, how many know that doesn't make you a great military genius? It doesn't. In fact, her name, think of her name. Her name means honeybee. <laughs> you study it. It means honeybee. Now, if you were going to go to war and the odds were overwhelmingly against you and you were going to decide, would you choose Xena, warrior princess, as a woman, or would you choose honeybee as, as, as the person? Her name didn't even excite me if I was one of the dudes that was going to go lose my life in this ridiculous battle. No, she's just thinking honeybee. She's a tiny Jewish woman, probably. If she was average, she was small. So he taps Honeybee on the shoulder. And, and listen to what God tells him. He goes, Honeybee, I want you to go and get in Barak's face. This dude that should have been the judge. Barak, he's the man. He is the man. I actually think he should have been the judge. But obviously, he wasn't godly. And to go into this battle, you had to really trust God. Because you didn't have anything to bring to the table. If you read chapter 5, it says this is shocking. It says in all of the 40,000 men of Israel, you couldn't find one sword. Now, how many of you would have volunteered for that army? Oh, we're going to go attack. Oh, we have no guns. By the way, no bullets. By the way, no uniforms. By the way, nothing. Now, now Barak, his name means lightning. And you know, they named people after their personality. So you got honeybee and you got lightning. Who would you sign up to go fight with? Who would you sign up to go fight with? But lightning was nowhere to be found. Nowhere. But honeybee was. The, le the lesson here is that God didn't choose Deborah because of what she had. He chose Deborah because Deborah would say yes. Now, this wasn't Deborah's first yes. This is probably her 10,000th yes to God. 
in the quiet places over the course of Deborah's life, she bowed her knee 10,000 times to God and dealt with the, with the impossible darkness of her own soul, dealt with her own sin. She dealt with her own awareness and strangeness to God, and she said yes to him, and she kept that alive. Now, as a toe, as a lesser member, as a non-superstar. If you say yes to God 10,000 times in your private life when the doors are shut and no one else is around, God knows that whenever there is a, a, a tough place in life, He can tag you not because of what you have. Now, many times He tags people for what they do have. He does. I think God uses superstars. But there's a time and a day that there's no superstar to be found. And in the rank and file of living humanity, God wants to know if he can find someone that'll say yes. That'll just say yes. Now I want you to think about it for a moment. Barack, Barack was not a chicken in my opinion. I know it doesn't say he was a chicken. It doesn't say that. But that's the common thing that is preached. But it does not say that. Let me tell you what I think from studying this for decades. I think Barack wasn't a chicken. I think he was a pragmatist and he didn't trust God. He was brilliant. Obviously, when he opened his voice, men listened to him. He was lightning. He was influential. He was probably well put together. He was probably freaky, scary looking. He was probably the guy you never wanted to get in an argument with because he would rip your head off and then beat you with it. That was him. And he didn't trust God. He did not trust God. Now, now listen, think about it. Why had he not marshaled the armies together and gone to war? They didn't even have a sword because they were held captive and they were not allowed to be armed. So for 20 years that, that Jabin had them under his dictatorship, he did not let a single sword be allowed amongst him. And listen, they were unskilled for war, unprepared for war, and didn't have the heart for war. And he knew that. And Deborah, I love this part too. Honeybee summons lightning. She didn't even get up and go talk to him. She goes, you go get lightning and tell him to come to moi. I want him to come to my tree. I'm not going to his. He comes to my tree. She summons him. And then that little bitty gets in his face. I would have loved to have seen that. Honeybee, go bend down here. No, a little lower. I can't reach you. Okay, now, grab him by the shirt collar. And she tells him what he's going to do. And listen to this. He responds to her and he goes, okay, okay, you big bad prophetess. Okay, fine. You want us to go commit a suicide? 
because Jabin has 40,000 troops and 900 chariots. We have no trained men and no swords, and your God, air quotes, has this brilliant strategy for all of us outnumbered one to four to go into a flat valley where chariots can really function there, which is God's brilliant plan. Your God's really brilliant plan is for us to just come out of the mountains where we could at least hide, come into the Valley of Kidron that's flat as a pancake, where chariots can thrive and go. You want us to go into this suicide? Great. If you go with us, honeybee. Because there is no, and when he said, okay, when, when she says, okay, then a woman is going to be the one to overthrow her. She wasn't even talking about herself. She was talking about J.L., the other woman of the story. She wasn't talking about herself. He said, okay. God spoke to you then. You come and die with us, and I'll go. See, I don't think he was a chicken at all. He was ungodly. He had said no to God 10,000 times. And he had no stomach for the kind of war where the odds were stacked against them. You see, Israel has never been powerful because they were powerful. If you know anything about geography, Israel is a little tiny landmass in the fertile crescent. And the Fertile Crescent was fertile because of these rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates and the Jordan River. And that's where humanity existed around those, that whole Fertile Crescent. And Israel was a small slice of land in the middle that was constantly at war. It was either Palestine, Canaan, or Israel, depending upon who was in control. Well, if Israel was in control, there was only one clear reason. It's because they were serving their God. It wasn't because they were big and bad and had money and armies. In fact, when the kings came in to be, God told them, yeah, you can have a king, but you can never store up money as a godly king because I want you to think I'm your source, not your money. You go read this. He said the second thing about my king, you, you getting a king, is they don't build big armies because you build the biggest and baddest army, you're still going to be beaten by the Assyrians and the, and the Babylonians and the, and the Egyptians because they're like 400,000 times your size. All they do is like kill people for practice all day. I'm not going to let you do that. Mano y mano, they're going to kill you. And so everyone knew if Israel's God was in the camp, it didn't matter what you were. They were going to win. And so God chooses unlikely people all the time. But not just any unlikely person. If you are ungodly, and you've said no to God 10,000 times, on that day, he will not tap you. He will not tap you. Because there's nothing glorious about leading the vast majority of the time. It's why our societies crumble and wickedness thrives. It's because us rank and file normal people 
when we lose the presence of God in our private lives, in, in our marriages, and in our families. And we say no to God privately 10,000 times. When he has a scenario like this that demands the kind of yes that your life is at risk. Imagine, imagine honeybee riding out to the scene with Barack. She didn't have a sword, I'm sure, because she couldn't use a sword. She probably couldn't even pick the sword up. She rides out and sits there, and that's all she does. She does nothing. She sits there. Because Barack said, okay, your life is going to hang in the balance. Your life is going to hang in the balance. God better show up or you're dead. In fact, they'll kill you first because they know you're the judge. And they'll take you out like a fly being swatted. See, God chooses the unlikely, but make sure this year, if you want the best year you've ever had, habitualize saying yes to Jesus Christ. Habitualize saying yes to the principles you find in the word. Habitualize dealing with the darkness of your own soul. Begin to say yes to Jesus and work on your life and your, your responsibility and your character and who you are consistently, constantly. And the day will come in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, and in your nation. The day will come that regardless of what your superpower skills are, Deborah was a superpower prophet. That was her superpower, not leading an army. And God tapped her and said, okay, hey, I know you'll say yes. I know you'll hear my crazy plan, but you'll say yes. I know you'll look at the odds and you'll think, ah, there's no way, but you'll say yes. Because you're saying yes to me all the time chooses unlikely people. The second thing I see that's profound, I think, in here, go to the next slide, is that when God taps, uh, continue to the next number two, the point number two. When God chooses unlikely people, something happens. That the people that should have been leading, now, now think about this for a moment. He hits, he taps someone on the shoulder that should have never been doing that. Never. And then all of a sudden, these people begin to come out of the woodwork that should have been doing it. Superstars. You know, sometimes God needs you to be a catalyst. That's why it's not about your gift. It's about your trust in Him, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, your trust and your dependence upon Him and how you walk. And, and so listen to this. Um, I'm sorry, am I messing this whole thing up on the slides? Um, go back to, to point number two is where I'm at. Oh, our system's frozen. I'm frozen too. So look at, um, I'll just tell the story because I'm going too long. Um, T this is the story. So if you read in chapter 5, you'll see that when they go to war, it said there were lieutenants and captains and generals. 
So think about that. In the nation of Israel, they had folk. I mean, it wasn't like they didn't have folk. They had folk, and they were hiding. And they were paralyzed by fear. And they knew that God was disciplining them. So they didn't even think God was on their side. And they were crying out to God for deliverance. But God always has a crazy plan. Because for them to get free would have been a miracle. My favorite movie line is in Princess Bride. How many of you have ever seen that movie? How many of you have seen Princess Bride? The rest of you will not make it to heaven. If you, if you don't know the movie, you're not going to get to heaven. But there's this scene in this movie. It's, it's a comedy movie. And this is the scene. There's a witch and a warlock, and there's a guy that's the best swordsman in the land. And so they've got to go storm this castle and this huge army, and there's only like three or four of them. And the best swordsman in the, is, in the land dies. And so he's actually mostly dead is what they call him. That's what my kids say I am. I'm mostly dead. <laughs> That, that's not totally dead, but that's mostly dead. And so, so they think, well, if we could raise this master swordsman to life, man, if we could do that, then we'll win because he's a superstar. And so they take Andre the Giant, throws this guy over his shoulder. They take him to this witch and warlock, and they make a little chocolate ball and charge him a fortune for it. And they give them this little chocolate ball, these witch and warlock, and they say, okay, now you go to the battlefront and lay the mostly dead guy down and stick the chocolate ball in his mouth and he's going to come to life and voila, you'll have the best swordsman and you'll win. And so when they walk off, the witch and warlock are sitting there and this, this, this uh, warlock's wife, the witch, she elbows him and she goes, do you think it'll work? And he goes, it'll take a miracle. And he's waving. And what a profound theological picture of human effort. It's truly a powerful illustration of human effort. But if you will make the chocolate ball, if you will do your part, it's amazing how many miracles go out in front of people like that when they do their best at the opposition that rises and God comes. God challenges the likely. He challenges the likely when unlikely leaders begin to lead. They go, oh, oh, I'm kind of a superstar in that, like, army thing. Like, she's, look how ridiculous she looks riding out to battle. Honey be on a horse. That's not really inspirational. Maybe I ought to get out there. Are you tracking with me? Maybe I better quick to repent now and man am I convicted that happened all over Israel and they came out of the woodwork now what happens many times is unlikely leaders get bitter because the giants quit sleeping and they rise up but Deborah had character she knew she was not being tapped to be the next god of the warrior sect. No, she was just a honeybee. She was glad that the highly gifted superstars finally woke up. Therein lies the secret to being a nobody that consistently says yes to God. You may be the very person that God uses to catalyze something 
that could give the superstar courage and conviction and see where they are to wake them up. I think Mandela did that in South Africa. Great leaders. Now, he was certainly a superstar. How many of you are tracking with me so far? And so that happened with Deborah. Listen, from Ephraim and their route, they marched down into the valley, following a Benjamin with their kinsmen. From Akir marched down the commanders. There were stinking commanders in there, commanding nothing. <laughs> commanding nothing but their own fears. It says, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The heck, princes of Issachar. What were the princes doing? Combing their hair? Looking good? I mean, it is ridiculous. You read this story and it's profoundly shocking. What had happened to an entire nation? Think of South Africa. Think of the U.S. Think of the Western world. We are locked in depravity. And I don't think it's lost people's fault. I think it's people in the kingdom of God's fault because we are his stewards. Uh, I mean, we're, we're the stewards of his kingdom. And so it continues. And Issachar faithful to Barak into the valley and they rush at his heels. It, it's just a remarkable picture. Next, next point. So when unlikely leaders lead, many people won't follow you. How many of you know that's encouraging? People by the thousands will do nothing to help you. Nothing. And this is where most Christians, you know, they have a moment with Jesus and they'll step up and they'll say yes. And then because nobody marshals any effort, they quit, get bitter, and then go back to hiding. And that, my friends, is not good. This is a principle I see. Notice the guy chilling. Not all will help when leaders lead. Now, I want you to read this. Look at these scriptures. And this is shocking. This story is, is absolutely shocking. Next scriptures. Uh, notice down here it says, The princes of Issachar came with Deborah and Issachar faithful Barak into the valley among they, they And then it says, There were great, the, amongst the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheep poles to hear the whistling of the flocks? This is what the whole clan of Reuben did. They sat around listening to the shepherd pipes play, and they thought. But they were deep thoughts. <laughs> and this is probably what they were thinking. Wow, the odds are overwhelmingly stacked against us. Hmm. I don't know about Deborah. She's a honeybee. Great prophetess, but boy, she's not inspiring. When you decide to lead, there are going to be people that sit around and think, and that's all they do. And they sit there like the Reubenites, and they think through everything, and they never lift a finger to help you. Why do you think only 10,000 Israelites went to war? It wasn't just because God said, take 10,000. It was because the others were not going to go regardless. And when you step up as a leader and you do that, just know this, not everyone is going to be so jazzed about you. In fact, you're not that jazzable. 
You should be shocked that anybody wants to follow the plan. Don't get bitter that those people that just sit around and think. Look at the next ones. This next one is, is equally as shocking to me. Amongst the clans of Reuben, there was great searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Oh, my goodness. Gilead, they were on the other side of the river. Now, how many times do you think Israel had spanned the Jordan River? Like 10,000 times? No, no, no. They used the rib river as an obstacle. They go, oh, no. Man, we would like have to get our feet wet. We'd have to cross the Jordan. And let's just assume it was in flood stage. Now, isn't there like a little story from their past about crossing the Jordan during flood stage? Now, if God was really involved in this, don't you think even if the river was uncrossable, at least you would wake yourself up and go out to the river like Moses did, or, or like Joshua did and go, God, you know, we can't get across, but we're here for battle. Part the water. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. They let an obstacle keep them from it, and they knew better. There are people, when you decide you're going to leave, that they, just any obstacle will be the reason they can't help you. And then it says, and Dan, I love, I love Deborah's song, and Dan, like she's going, what in the world? And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? The Danites were the great trade merchants. They just stayed to keep making money. They stayed in their ships. They knew that war would not be good for business. It's never good for business. I mean, you know, war is not a good business idea. And then it continues. This, Asher sat still. This is my favorite. Asher sat still by the coast of the sea, saying by his lake. They were sunbathing. They were just on the coast, soaking up rays. We're not going to fight. It just, it's shocking. So just remember, when you start leading, more than likely, nobody's going to be impressed. Are you doing this to be impressive? Because, listen, if you're going to change a nation, you better be in it for life. And you better be in it regardless. If you think you're going to eliminate poverty on your block, forget the nation. It'll cost you your life. And you can't get offended by people that don't help you, people that are not jazzed about you. It's always been the case and will always be the case. But that's never an excuse. If you want this to be the best year ever and you've got bitterness in your heart, you better deal with that. If you get what I call a whiny, sucky baby attitude because you have to do it all yourself, Quit being a whiny, sucky baby. Maybe God wants to build such a great soul inside of you that you'll have weightiness so that people can follow you in the future. Maybe that's what he's doing. The next, the next point, and then I'll finish. When you lead, God intervenes. Remember the, remember the stupid plan God had? How many of you know God has a lot of stupid plans? I mean, you just look at it and you go, well, that's a stupid plan. I remember when he dealt with me about my lack of being a good husband and a good father and a godly, all that stuff. I thought his plan for me was really stupid. I opened the Bible. He said, forget about trying to change your wife, change yourself. That was a stupid plan. How many of you know that's a stupid plan? It, I can work far better 
trying to change my wife than I can change myself. That's just a stupid plan. We had a really stupid plan for these guys to go down in the valley, and, and you can go there in Israel, and you can see the Valley of Kidron, and you go, wow, this would be like the greatest place ever to take a chariot. They didn't have chariots. They didn't have swords. They didn't, even, they didn't have anything. But see, God knew what he was going to do. So what he did is he caused a flood. Now, the easiest way to take chariots out of the picture is to deal some lucky mud. Just get a lot of lucky mud. And all the chariots, it says, got stuck. Even General Sisera's chariot got stuck. And in one fell sweep, God eliminated all the chariots in minutes because of mud. Who knew? Who knew? And I love the description. In fact, when Deborah sings the song in the fifth chapter, you can read it later, she talks about the stars coming to her aid. She talks about all of the heavens were marshaled to eliminate the stinking chariots in a second. Listen, when you go and you do the impossible, God knows it's not about you and your big bad gift. He's already knows that all the stars in the heavens and everything under his power are going to come into array because you are doing nothing more than booking on a miracle. It's always about God splitting the sky. You always are making little chocolate balls. And as long as you know that your human effort, your little chocolate ball is important because it's the only thing you can do is the human thing, but he will always do the God thing. If you do the human things, then he will do the God thing. And 10,000 men routed. And it was one more amazing story in Israel's history about how when they got themselves right, God showed up. And all kinds of things happened. And the last point. Godly leaders give God all the glory and others all the credit. When Deborah sings this song, she was not the big bad warrior. And she didn't make it out to be that she was the big bad warrior. Um, she gave everybody else the credit and only God the praise, and only God the glory. Um, glory is really makes you look terrible if you try to wear it. Um, there, was a, there was a show on television called something about wedding dresses, like, like it was on the learning, you know, TLC, and, and so these women that go buy these dresses, and they would walk out and go, well, how does this look at me? It's, it's what? Say yes to the dress. Yeah, just always say no to the glory because you always look bad in it. You always, your rear always looks bigger than it really is if you're tracking with me. And yet it is the destruction of most leaders in the church. As you get out there and you get big and bad and you have lots of success. And then you say yes to the dress. And just always makes you look terrible. And the second thing, you try to take the credit. And yet you know in your soul. No, it was the lieutenants and captains that risked their life. I sat on my horse and stared. Actually, when Sisera fled, he fled to a Canaanite tent. And this woman, this Jewish woman, was married to a guy that was a traitor. He left his own people and 
you know, became a fan of the ungodly. And it bothered that woman. God knew she was bothered, so Sisera fled to her tent. And I love, she gives him a sleeping pill. Back in that day, it was warm milk. <laughs> and this is why I fear my wife and have for almost 40 years. This year will be our 40th wedding anniversary. And she's a Texas woman, much like what I hear you South African women are like. I have feared her my entire life. I've never even thought about abusing her. I've thought she was going to abuse me many times, but I've never thought about abusing her. But so she goes into this tent. Sister goes into this tent. And J.L. puts him to sleep and takes a tent peg and drives it through his skull. Kills him and that was it. Two women. Two women. Both godly. Both disgusted by ungodliness. If you want to make this the best year ever in your life, reread these stories and just look at it and check your own soul. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for people like Deborah, people like J.L., that seemingly were nobodies, that were called to your great purpose. So Jesus, may we exit the room today wanting to be yes people to you, to always say yes to you, to say yes 10,000 times and the day will come that we will be asked to do the impossible that looks horrible, that will cost us much, but we will have the courage this year to say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we remain in that attitude of prayer, I just want to ask if there's anyone here, and as you've listened to this sermon, maybe it was even before you came to church, there was something stirring in your heart, and, and you knew that deep down it was time to make a change in your life. It was time to surrender your hopes, your desires, your dreams for your life to Jesus. It was time to have him as the commander-in-chief of your life. And if that's you here and you, you know you need to make that stand, I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and eye closed that you would just raise your hand and let me know that you need to make the decision. That's fantastic. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Church, can we all play, pray this together? Can we just say, you follow me, Lord Jesus. I come to you and I surrender my life. Lord, I acknowledge that I've lived in the past for myself and in charge of myself. Lord, I turn from that and I turn to you. And I ask that you would come and you would come into my life and change me. That you would be my Lord and you would save me. In Jesus' name.